As a woman, I think though, the areas that I found the most difficult were when it was made plain that I was not welcome. That happened when I went to college, when I was the only female in the class. And not only was I the only female in certain classes, but I was the only black person in a class. Technology is transforming how we think, how we lead, and how we win. From InterVision, this is Status Go, the show helping IT leaders move beyond the status quo, master their craft, and propel their IT vision. Welcome back to our continuing series, Race in Tech, where we amplify the voice of our diverse colleagues, and we listen, and we learn. Our conversations to date have centered on the world of technology. Today, we're going to expand our scope to STEM, science, technology, engineering, and math. Our guest is Dr. Natasha Anderson. Dr. Anderson holds a BS in mechanical engineering, a master's in business, and a doctorate in education. She's the vice president of training and implementation for WASED, the leader in demand-driven K-12 education. Welcome to the show, Dr. Anderson. Well, thank you, Jeff. I'm really happy and excited to be here today. We're very excited to have you on as a guest and looking forward to our conversation. Uh, I know I shared your degree work with our audience, but would you mind sharing a bit more about your background? Sure. So, Ooh, where do I start? <laughs> Way back long ago. No. Um, yeah. I, <laughs> so I'll just say that STEM has, has been a huge part of my life for such a long period of time. So um, as Jeff pointed out, um, I'm a former or reformed, you know, <laughs> according to who I'm talking to, yes. um, mechanical engineer. So Technology has always been a huge part of what I do. And so I've designed everything from like train car parts, car parts, to systems that go inside buildings, like your hot and cold water systems, your air, air conditioning systems, fire protection systems for all sorts of buildings. Um, everything as simple as your CVS drugstore to complicated systems like your Mayo Clinic or your CDC offices because um, they have specialized um, requirements. Right. And of course, we use technology to do all of those things. Then I moved into education where instead of actually doing the, um, the engineering and using technology in that way, I was actually teaching um, students how to do those things. I taught CAD classes. I taught 3D animation, 3D modeling. Um, engineering technology classes. And and then by the time I ended my education, and I have that in quotes in, in my head, um, <laughs> I, was, I was the dean over all of those programs and helping to run them and make sure that they, that my faculty and staff had all that they needed so that they could be the best they could be for students. And I've since gone on to start my own business where I spend a lot of time helping organizations fund, find funding, but also um, develop programming for minority kids. So, you know, kids that look like me. Yeah. So um, that's been my life. Um, I've tried to incorporate it in every, 
area of, of my life. And now with WAS, um, a large part of what they do is provide these science and STEM kits um, for students in any area, every area of the educational spectrum. So it doesn't matter if you're in private school or if you're in an inner city school with little to no funding. So we try to find ways to engage students in STEM and you know, and technology so that they can have a good running start at having a, a really productive career when they grow up. I'm glad I had you share a bit more about your background because uh, we have some shared background that we could really geek out on at, at another time. I used to be CIO for a real estate development firm, so we could spend hours talking about building information modeling and, oh. and uh, it just it would be fascinating sometime, but but I uh, wish you could see my face now. I just I had a real like gig out moment. For yeah, like, well, we I almost just called that. it BIM, you know, because uh, <laughs> everybody has to use the acronym. But um, what I'd love to do is, is start with something that the audience may be assuming by now, uh, because you are at the intersection of being female, being a black female, being a black female working in STEM. What has that been like for you? Well, if, if that is not the million dollar question. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, it, it's been it's been a mixed bag, uh, if I'm honest. I, I can honestly say that I enjoyed my career when I was a practicing engineer and, and as an engineering educator. Enjoyed it. I still enjoy it. I still the need to discover, to design, to create something new doesn't go away. Um, and I don't, I think that that is not dependent on your sex. But as, as a woman, I think though, the areas that I found the most difficult were when there were, it was made plain that I was not welcome. And, and that happened when I went to college, when I was the only female in the class. And not only was I the only female in certain classes, but I was the only black person in a class. So now it's like now I have two things that are either working for me or working against me. And I could never tell which one won and, you know, in the yeah, instances yeah, are yeah. like, okay, so are you against me because I'm a woman or are you against me because I'm a black person or is it both or some combination? Yeah. Um, and so it made, it made navigating those spaces really hard, unnecessarily so to me, um, because I, it, I felt like there was, you know, affirmative action did several good things, but it did, it, it changed the perception of people's ability so there were people who thought, okay, she's only here because, you know, we need to fill this quota of black people. Yeah. Um, and then she hits two because she's black and she's a woman. And it and it diminished in their eyes my ability. So I wasn't there because I was just as smart or right. I deserve, you know, I, I deserve yeah. that seat. I earned that seat in the class. It was because I'm black and I'm a woman. And so it I felt like and this is this is again Natasha Anderson. I always felt like I had to work harder to show them that I belong there. Mm -hmm. And again, I took that on myself, and, but it's totally unfair that that's that's the perception. And actually, that still exists for women these days because it's just I don't know why. I don't know why that's still a thing, but it's really still a thing. 
and it didn't get better when I went into corporate America. So it was, it was even worse because the, the way engineering is set up, it's still the environment is made for white men, older white men. That's the truth. And here, here's this, you know, young black woman coming in and I think I know everything. I, I didn't, but you know, that was the perception. And then of course you're only here because we have to fill a quota. So. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, on uh, one of the recent webinars that we hosted, one of our panelists, Angel Henry, a black woman in tech talked about being the only, uh, and you mentioned that. And mm-hmm. so in some cases, you've not only been the only, but you've also been the first in some cases, right? Yes. So yes. what added pressure or angst did that cause? Um, you know, well, first I'll say this. I think it's really, I think we should really examine systems where the um, we're still having first and onlys in 2020. We're yeah. still having first and only. So let's, you know, put, I'll put that out there. I can tell you having been first and only that it's hard. Um, it's unnecessarily hard. It can change your perception of other people. Um, the pressure of it is so, it, it's, it's, not, it's not sustainable. Um, I've seen a lot of people crack under the pressure of it. That pressure is... I can't even describe it in a way that I, I don't know if it would make sense to people to be, cause it, it's like, you're always on a stage. You don't have a moment. You can't make a mistake. And if you make a mistake, it's like this cataclysmic event because you're the first and only in the, in the class, in the, you know, in the school, in the, whatever it is, you're the first and only. So you have these ideals that, you have to live up to, but they're not your own. Yeah. I heard someone at one event challenge the audience and they challenged them this way. Uh, It was an audience of predominantly white males uh, because it was a tech audience. And when they were talking about being the only and being the first and only, the challenge was go put yourself in situations where you are the only. Right. And see, experience that feel that i challenge our audience today with that same same thing go find go to events where you might be the only um just soak in how that feels and it gives you just a small glimpse into it and don't just do it once that's the thing because what you want to do is sort of keep keep doing that um and see what happens because it's not just the first time you walk into a classroom and you re- and you walk around and you realize, okay, so I'm the only woman in here. I am the only black person in here. Um, it's, it's every time. Yeah. It's every it, time. It builds, it builds, right? The stress and the pressure continues to, to build and, and wear you down. Yes. Yes. Um, there is, it's the unspoken. I would almost rather, um, you say, hey, I don't like you, don't care for you, don't think you're good enough to be here to my face. But for you to be silent when you know things are happening or other people are saying things, there's there's that pressure. Yeah. There's the you know the idea that you wouldn't 
um, because I'm different from you or I look different for, from you that you would treat me differently than you would anybody else. There's, there's that. And, um, or you would treat me worse than you would treat, you know, not even differently. It would, it's worse. So, um, there's really no way to get over that. You just have to get through it. And that means that there are probably going to be some, some scars that come from that. Yeah. 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 So what microaggressions have you experienced uh, being the first and only? And, and I know the list is probably uh, quite, quite long, but, but what, what are some of them that maybe you still experience today? It's, this, is, this is a really good question. So I have had this conversation um, recently with, with my husband because we were talking about microaggressions and how even, you know, even people who look like us, um, mm-hmm. cause my husband is one, but we have a cadre of friends, um, who are all black or, well, we, we call our friends like the international coalition, but I bring this, <laughs> up, I, I bring this up, um, because there was a situation that occurred where I was like, I can't, you know, it's like one of those things where I can't believe you said that, like, think about the words that you're saying and what, and how it could be perceived from someone else especially all of the women sitting at this, at this table. But yeah, when I worked, uh, when I was an engineer, those happened all the time. I think I told you um, in an earlier conversation about being in a meeting with, um, with a whole bunch of white men and we were waiting for our client to come in so we could have uh, the design meeting. And he came in, he threw the pad down in front of me and sat down um, because in his mind, the only reason that I could be in the room was that I was the administrative assistant or I was the secretary. I could not be the engineer. It just never crossed his mind that that was my role. Yeah. And and when I told him that, you know, I'm like, I don't know who your secretary is, um, <laughs> but she is not me because I am the mechanical engineer of record for your project. Yeah. So he turned all shades of red uh-huh. and it's like one of those things where it's, you know, it gets, it's offensive. Sh- sure. It's tiring. And then it's, and it's almost like in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, you don't know better. Like you don't yeah. know better, you know, cause I don't think he, he was doing it intentionally, but it's just, this was acceptable behavior because no one was there to call them out about it or at least do the corrections that needed to happen. So the other one that, I mean, I've had men who have taken credit for my work in front of me. Um, We did the whole, uh, you know, you've heard this one before where you're in a meeting, the boss is there, you say something, nobody pays attention. The guy next to you says exactly the same thing and he gets the credit. And it's like, but I just said the same, I just said the exact same thing. So that happened frequently. And I honestly learned to use it to my advantage um, because then I would just tell the person next to me because I'm like, okay, well, he's not going to listen to me. Um, <laughs> I like my words are, are like the Charlie Brown teacher. We, he can't understand. But if you say it, he's going to get it and then we'll be able to do that. And so then I would just tell him. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's one workaround, right? Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. Because it what I what I realized then is that um 
it takes more than one um, to change the culture. And there has to be a desire and a need to change in order for it to really happen. And we also have to recognize that it's going to take time. I think I read somewhere where it takes about two to three years for culture to actually change. So it's going to take time. Yeah. And it's micro steps, it seems like. In addition to taking time, it just seems like progress is just tiny, tiny baby steps uh, towards it. Yeah, but we have to be willing to make those those steps um, and recognize first it's like sort of recognizing what is the problem like what what is the problem and then once you recognize what is the problem then here are some potential steps to solving the problem and everyone has to buy into those solutions in order for it to work so um, and then you have to put in the work and that's the that's the difficult part because it may be, it may mean we have to change um, not only the way we behave at work but it's it's you know we have to watch our language we need to right. you know maybe we need to structure the way we do our meetings and so it requires everyone to be on board for it to actually really to really work yeah and especially if we're talking about not just. Um, for women to, you know, to be more inclusive of women in, um, in the office, but minority women and people who are othered, Mm -hmm. um, we, we have to do that work because we are, um, we're not in a place where we can just sort of throw people away when, especially when we're all talented in our own way. And it may be that someone who looks like me, or who is from Bangladesh, you know, mm-hmm. has some has a skill that we need. So why why wouldn't we be willing to make adjustments so that he or she or me would be comfortable enough to want to be here every day? The problems that we are facing as, as people in STEM or just people in general are so complex. Why you wouldn't want to have diversity of thought, diversity of experience, diversity of background to help solve those problems is beyond me. I think that's what it's going to take to tackle a lot of society's problems today is diversity. I agree with that. I So let's just be clear. What's happening today has, or I should say, and by today, I don't mean like actually today. I mean, in in our current climate, um, in the United States and across the world is a reckoning if we are true and honest about what we are seeing. Mm-hmm. And the pushback and the resistance that we are seeing is because, you know, we've been comfortable. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so when you get pushed and we, we see this, at, you know, acted out in other other ways. But right now, when you get pushed past your comfort zone and you've been asked to examine a place that you know you don't want to go, um, then that puts you, it almost puts you on the defensive, which is, of course, where no one wants to be. But then you don't necessarily get the opportunity to really just sort of sit back, examine not only yourself, but like the behaviors of other people in your circle to do the really good work, to get in the good trouble that that um, yeah, he's yeah. talking about. Uh-huh. Um, 
you can't almost you can't allow yourself to go there, which puts us in the place that we currently are. So all of this, all of the violence that we're seeing, we're not can't say all of the violence, like that's just not true. But I feel like the pushback for the Black Lives Movement, uh, Black Lives Matter movement has been, it's more about, you know, when people say all lives matter, yes, that's true. And we're taking nothing from it. What we're saying is, is that Black Lives Matter too, or also in addition to everybody's life. And so it's not a, it's not a, uh, we're not demonizing anyone else. It's not like white people are bad. It's not that. It's, it's, we want you guys to see us as people, as people with the same rights, responsibilities, you know, options, skills, talents, beauty as anyone else. And so when something bad happens to us, care, yeah, care about it and look at it and say, this keeps happening. It, this keeps happening. I mean, and to one race of people, these things keep happening. So when we're saying that, when we, we, we give you examples and then we have people say, oh no, but he was, you know, he was a criminal. He's not a bad, he's, he's not a good individual. She should have complied with, with police. But then we have examples where, you know, other people didn't comply, but they're still alive. You know, they may be in jail, but they, they, they didn't comply. They're not dead. They didn't get shot in the back. They didn't get shot for having a a toy gun. They didn't, you know, they were running away from police. They didn't get shot in the back. You know what I mean? So those things aren't happening to other people or at least, and not at the scale Scale. that they're happening to us. So, um, I know that was a long answer to it. No, no, that was, (laughs) but when, when we first spoke, we made the comment that, it seemed like the issue of race had somewhat gone out of the media attention. Yeah, there were, there's still the, the protests in Portland and in other places, but the media attention was now focused somewhere else. And then it all got brought back to the surface with the shooting of Jacob Blake. Yeah. And I think you described that week as feeling heavier. Oof. What did you mean by that? Uh, that last week, uh, it, I, I'm trying to find words. It felt like this is a, this is probably going to be a weak example. Um, because there aren't really, it just felt like going to three funerals in a week. You know, like day after day after day after day after day, it's death, it's death, it's death, it's death. And there's no escape from it. Um, And there's no way you, because as I wake up every morning, I look in the mirror and I see a Black woman. And what it feels like, fair or unfair, what it feels like is that no one's listening. Like the message is not getting out um, to the people who need to hear it. Like we aren't here. We don't want to take your stuff. We don't want to be you. We want to, we want to be able to live like regular people. Mm -hmm. We don't want to be killed. We don't want to be afraid of police. We understand the need for police. Most of us, because I'm not a, I'm not 
for de defunding the police. But I, I feel like, though, I don't want to be afraid when I get pulled over. I don't want to fear when my 16-year-old son or my 18-year-old daughter leave my house if I'm going to see them again because yeah. somebody flipped out because she, you know, she may have said the wrong thing and this person decided this black girl doesn't need to live. Yeah. I don't want to I don't want to I, I don't want to raise my kids to be afraid. I don't want them to have a life where they're always looking over their shoulder where they have to say speak the right way. You have to be you have to speak white. And, yeah. and you know, you have to be better, stronger, faster. You have to be smarter than everybody else. And then you still may not be able to get to a you know a good place because there's still racism built into laws yeah. and to the way businesses have, you know, have in their hiring practices. So last week was so heavy because it was like all of those thoughts. And then there's, you know, there's the protests and then there's, you know, we have people popping off on TV and on Twitter and saying things that are just like, I just want to be, we, I just want to be understood. Yeah. I, I, what we're saying to you guys isn't that we hate all y'all and go away. It's like, can we, can we really be family? Can we all be Americans with the same opportunities? Can we, can we just be equal in every way right. that matters? Yeah. That was that was what all of that is. This week is better, but it's still, it's still heavy. Yeah. Well, and you brought up another intersection, right? You're female, you're black, you're in STEM. You're also a mother. Yeah. Uh, can you share with our listeners a little bit how, how this year has impacted you as a parent? And I know it goes well beyond just this year, but with, with everything that has happened this year, uh, how, how has that impacted you as a parent? So this is funny. So I was walking with, um, some girlfriends We're all mothers. Um, we walk every morning. Um, but yesterday we were talking and I said, I, um, and then I'll bring it home. So I remember exactly where I was when, um, George Zimmerman <clears throat> verdict came in, you know, mm -hmm. Trayvon Martin and, you know, he was not guilty. And I remember because I was in Washington, D.C. at a conference. I remember in my room crying so hard. I don't know him, didn't know Trayvon either. Yeah. Um, but I just remember crying so hard because my thought was, is what do I tell my kids? Yeah. What do I tell my son? Um, how do I prepare him for a world that may kill him because he has a hoodie on? Right. What? How do how do you explain that? Or my daughter? How do I explain that? You know, and I couldn't I couldn't see it. And then there was, you know, there's been several, but then George Floyd and he was calling out to his mother. And that was the saddest thing. Oh, yeah, it just broke me in a way that I I cannot explain. And I can, what I remember about that is, is that my son, um, I've never seen him. He's not a, he's not an angry kid. He's just sort of, you know, he's real laid back. Mm -hmm. He was mad. And I didn't know what to do with that either, because yeah. I don't want you to leave. Um, 
being upset because then that can lead to an additional situation. And I want you to come home to me. I want you to be safe where I can hug and love on you. Yeah. So this this has been I've been watching carefully and we've been having lots of conversations um, with our kids so that we can we can make sure that they a are informed, but they but b that they are making good decisions for themselves, because unfortunately, this is not this is not the end of this. Right. And right. since we don't know when the end is, we have to keep them vigilant and prepared. Because a mistake could be exactly. fatal. That's yeah. right. And I don't want to be, I, I mean, I love them, sympathize with them and, and feel for them, but I don't want to be them. I mean, yeah. if I'm honest, I yeah. don't want to be those mothers and fathers. I don't want to be Jacob Blake senior. I don't, I don't want to be doing an interview on CNN talking about no. my son being no, 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 mm-mm, that's, mm-mm, I don't want yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so back in the 60s, I'm going to shift to my parent for a second and switch topics just a, just a little bit. Back in the 60s, I think my mom would have considered herself as a part of the feminist movement. Now, she wasn't involved in the marches and all that, but it was a pretty big deal for a Baptist, Baptist minister's wife, let me tell you. <laughs> yes. Uh, you speak in terms of a womanist movement rather than a feminist movement. What mm-hmm. is that? And, and how has that come about? So this is interesting. And thank you for bringing this up. So feminism has is a big thing. Um, mm-hmm. And there are people who are for it and against it, you know, because they they assume that feminism means that you are against men. And it's not that it's that you are for women. Mm-hmm. Um, you want women to have the same equal rights as men do and did. Um, and the same thing. So feminism is, I'll just summarize it by saying it's the black version of feminism. So when we were talking about the last week was the anniversary of the yes. women's suffrage movement. Yeah. Right. And it's, and everybody says it was the birth of feminism. Well, what they leave out of that equation is that black women were an important part of that movement, but we didn't have the right to vote. We didn't get the right to vote until the Civil Rights Act was enacted, right? We weren't, yeah. we weren't, we still weren't equal, even though we marched in the streets, held signs, we helped support, um, but we didn't, we didn't get the benefit of it. Right. And so the womanist movement said that we, I, black women, deserve our rights too, mm-hmm. and that's what the woman womanist movement is for. And you, when you think about taking that stance, it's not that you are anti-white women or other women. It's that you are for black women. Right. I find it, what I found interesting is, you know, I consider myself a history nerd. I love history. And while I knew cognitively that when uh, women's suffrage came about and, and women got the right to vote. I knew cognitively that it did not include black women, but it never struck home to me until this year with everything that's going on. And I hate to admit that, but it's the same thing that you and I talked about last week that um, the reason why we're doing these episodes is because it's it's a reaction to our own inaction to my own inaction so i want i want to thank you first of all for 
being so candid and so willing to talk to us today, uh, because I think these these messages are so important. And what I'd love to do in closing here is our our audience really has a propensity uh, towards action. We really like to have a solid call to action at the end of these episodes of Status Go. So what actions can our listeners take today because they listen to our conversation? This, I'm glad so so glad. Um, first off, thank you for allowing me to be candid um, and for asking me to be on the show. So here are some some good steps that I think your audience can take. One, be willing to have those brave, hard, uncomfortable conversations. Yes, have them. But then when those conversations are over, don't, you know, check it off the list and keep and keep going, you know, doing the same things you were doing and believing the same things that you were believing. Do your own research. There are plenty of books out there that you can read on anti-racism because um, it's one thing to say I am not a racist, a racist. And, you know, the majority of, of white people are not. I would yeah. I would like to believe. But it's about how to be anti-racist and what that looks like in your workplace, in your home, in the conversations with your one black friend, you know, it's yeah, just sort yeah, of like yeah. how to have, how to have those conversations, but move the needle with your friend group. So that when you are confronted or the situation happens, you can take a look at it and you can say, oh, okay, this is what he was talking about or she was talking about. Yeah. Now I can put into, I can put all of these, this, this education I've been getting into action when I step up and I say, Hey man, that's wrong. Like I, I heard what you're saying and that's racist or that's this, you know, you, you have discriminatory practices and, mm-hmm. and I don't think that's the way you want to go. And the other thing is this, this movement, this moment that we're in, we cannot do it without support. And so there's this, you know, the term of white ally has been around forever and I'm, I get it, but I really, it's more than, it's more than your allyship. We need you all to have a call to action. When you see people being mistreated, say something, just, you know, like videotape, that's the end thing. Um, Actually, my brother was telling me that he had gotten pulled over the other day and he looked, he looked over. And there was a white lady in her car recording uh-huh. the encounter with the cop. And she mouthed to him, are you okay? And he was like, that has never happened. And my brother is 52 years old. Yeah, He was like, yeah. it, that's never happened. So we need, we need you guys on board like that. Like you're willing to step out of your lane, go yeah. out of your, you know, get out of that comfort zone and, help really help find ways in black communities that you can be of assistance because there are things that you know we don't know and we don't have all the answers what we know is is that things can no longer stay the same but we can't do this by ourselves that is such a great call to action and i will mention to our listeners we at uh, status go 
and at InterVision have been gathering a list of resources that you can access and read. It provides links to, to various resources. So I am sure we will include a link to that in our show notes uh, for those that want to take the action uh, to learn more. Well, uh, and- there's two things I want to, two things to add to your list. So one yeah. is called the memo and it's called by Minda Hertz, Minda uh-huh. Hertz. And that one talks about being a black woman in um, leadership in, you know, in the white world. And so she calls it the memo. The other one is called Hood Feminism, Notes from the Women that a Movement Forgot. And this one is by Mickey Kendall, Mickey with two Ks. Okay. Uh, And so you can add those to the list. So those are dealing with more women issues as it relates to being a minority in business. Fantastic. Fantastic. I don't think we had those on the list, so that'll, those will be great additions. And before we close, can you just give us a word about your podcast? Because I know you're a host of a podcast, and I, I think our listeners might want to uh, listen in on your show as well. So can you just give us a, a little bit of a background on your podcast? Oh, awesome. Thank you. So my podcast is called Stemming in Stilettos. We highlight the stories of minority women in STEM and we give them a safe place to tell their STEM story and to give advice to those young girls and young professionals who are coming up the ranks behind them. That's the premise. That's what we do is 30 minutes um, of your time. And these women are phenomenal. They're, they're awesome and amazing. And I hope that you listen, um, listen in and listen up because that's what we tell our listeners to do. Uh, I love that name. You had mentioned that the other day, and I just think that's that's fantastic. And we will add that to our list of resources as well. So, Dr. Anderson, thank you so much. The giving of your time, responding to my blind email, just reaching out and saying, hey, would you be on a podcast? I, that was fantastic. Uh, but thank you so much for doing that. I really appreciate your candor today and really appreciate getting to know you. To our listeners, If you have a question or want to learn more, go to intervision.com. The show notes will provide links and contact information. We'll provide a link to that resource that I mentioned as well. This is Jeff Tun for Dr. Natasha Anderson. Thank you very much for listening. You've been listening to the Status Go podcast. You can subscribe on iTunes or get more information at intervision.com. If you'd like to contribute to the conversation, find InterVision on Facebook, LinkedIn, or Twitter. Thank you for listening. Until next time.